My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be worshiping with you here in person, online, and if it's the 4th of July when you're checking this out, happy 4th of July. We are finishing up our At the Mini Movie series of finding the intersection of our faith in Jesus in these stories. Our last film tonight premiered before the movie Monsters Incorporated all the way back in 2001. Some of you weren't even born then. This film won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film that year. As we watch the entire film, I want you to keep our scripture for the night in mind. Our scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember... He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Grab your popcorn and let's watch. Here we go. Uh, such a satisfying ending that the little birds get what they deserve. The big blue bird doesn't really do anything to them, and they attack him, make fun of him, and then they get launched in the sky, needing some new outfits. It is such a satisfying ending, justice delivered. But we need to face the harsh and honest and true reality that there have absolutely been points in our lives that we've absolutely all been the small little birds. We have all said things and done things to harm big bluebirds in our lives. Now, the little bluebirds, they start fighting immediately. As soon as the movie begins, there's no peace. There is no kindness whatsoever. They start out cantankerous and angry, and it gets worse the more they arrive. Then when the big bluebird arrives, all that anger, all that bitterness gets turned toward that bird. He's done nothing to them. He is just there. Instead of elevating the words they speak to each other, instead of kindness and hospitality, the big bluebird gets nothing but anger and bitterness and impatience. Now, just like those little bluebirds, our words carry great power to help. They can lift others up or we can harm and hurt one another. Well-spoken words sustain and heal marriages and relationships. Poorly spoken words darken people's lives. They destroy relationships and marriages. The Talmud, a text of Jewish faith, records a rabbi in it that says the tongue is so powerful, it is so dangerous that it must be covered by two walls, our teeth and our lips. Two walls are necessary to protect other people from our potentially painful words. You know, we encounter hurtful words early on, experiencing ourselves or seeing other people be picked on on the school playground. I got glasses early in the second grade, so it was early that I was called four eyes. Being in middle school doesn't help anybody that much, and so I got braces then too. But in middle school, so many people have braces, uh, that's not so much picked on, but we find all other kinds of things to pick on each other for, don't we? With social media and texting, man, there are so many ways for us to hurt each other with our words, our tongues, and our fingers. Words can harm others, people so much that we hurt other people to the effect that they take their own lives because of the words spoken into their, into their lives. If any of us 
If anybody, if you ever find yourself in that situation that you want to harm yourself, please reach out to somebody that you trust. Please reach out to us at the church, to teachers and coaches, to somebody in your life, because we want to help you find hope and healing and life. Now, if we say we follow Jesus, we are called to live differently. Whether we're in school, whether we're not anymore, we're not supposed to be the ones teasing and bullying and picking on others. We're supposed to be the ones lifting each other up, especially those who are teased or picked on by other groups. Jesus himself tells us incredibly directly, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. We will give an account for the careless, hurtful, meaningful words that we speak when our lives end. We should be using our words, our actions to bring peace and hope and life to others, not hurt and harm. And we should be surrounding ourselves with people who are doing that, who are bringing kindness and hope to others. Friends, our relationships, our connections matter deeply. We're going to be pulled down or we're going to be pulled up depending upon who we spend time with. We can be pulled down just like the birds in our friendships. Or like our scripture notes, we can live differently. We can help pull people up to the expectations that Jesus has for us, living lives of kindness and encouragement and forgiveness. We can have unity in our bickering and our infighting, or we can have unity in our kindness, our hospitality, and our forgiveness. Now, in our passage from Ephesians, Paul, the first century church planter, is encouraging Christians that he has just trained and just discipled. He's essentially having to retrain and re-disciple them. At the writing of this letter, he is in prison awaiting a possible death sentence. Paul spent 25 months with the people in Ephesus, and almost immediately after he left, they start fighting, they start picking on each other, and not living like people who actually follow Jesus. They, they say things to each other not worthy of followers of Christ. And most of what Paul says Christian unity looks like in this section that we're looking at, this whole chapter, it has everything to do. It all has to do with the t our tongues, the words that we say to each other. Followers of Jesus should exude. We should shine helpful words, encouraging words. We should speak truth in love to one another. We shouldn't lie to each other. And we shouldn't sin by saying hurtful words in anger to each other. Paul could not be more direct. He couldn't be more clear when he says in our memory verse of the week this. He says, get rid. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So how do we do this? One way is to surround ourselves with people who live like this. We grow to be like the people we spend time with. We feed off each other, just like the birds. What your parents told you is absolutely true. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Do the people around you encourage you to be kind and generous and tenderhearted? Or do they push you to act like the little birds, impatient, unkind, cantankerous? May we surround ourselves with people urging us to more kindness and generosity and gentleness, because that's what it looks like to live like Jesus in the world. 
Now, instead of the cranky little birds, we should be living like the large, big blue bird with a spirit of generosity and curiosity. His feathers never get ruffled. He never gets upset. He takes it all in through the spirit of curiosity. Even after all the other birds get launched and they land needing new feathers, he laughs, but not at them. He laughs at the situation, even giving, them a, giving one of them a leaf to help cover up because he's embarrassed. He's generous even through his belly laughs. He is amused, but he feels no malice, anger, or bitterness towards them. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where our default setting isn't anger or malice or revenge or bitterness? How do we get to that place where our default setting is love and kindness and generosity? If you back up just a couple of verses in Ephesians, we see the key. We see the answer to this question starting in verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We surround ourselves with people who lift us and everyone up, and we put on our new nature in Christ. Much like the little birds needed to put on new feathers, both figuratively and literally, we put on our new nature, our new attitudes when we say yes to Jesus. When we come to the place where we know we are broken, we need healing. When we come to the place where we know we need someone to put us back together, when we finally say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, it's at that very moment we begin to be restored. The Holy Spirit comes into us, starts to reshape our thoughts and our attitudes, putting on an entirely new nature, new feathers, where love and kindness and generosity can become our default setting instead of sin and anger and bitterness. Now, we Methodists call this process sanctification. It's everything that happens after we say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. It is becoming and acting a little bit more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. That can be a hard concept to wrap our minds around because acting and living like Jesus seems absolutely impossible. Like Vicki shared with us a couple of weeks ago, while we would never know, while we're never going to know what it is to be a first century Middle Eastern Jewish man, we should imagine what it would look like if Jesus was living our life right now in the 21st century. Using our imagination, if Jesus were us, that makes it a little more attainable, a little more possible, and a little more achievable. We Methodists also contribute a very unique idea to the Jesus movement in the global church. It's called entire sanctification. Put simply, it means we can be made perfect in love in this life. Our default setting, instead of going to anger first, instead of going to hatred first because of what this person did to us, we don't. We go, to, instead of harsh and hurtful words, we go to love first. We go to generosity first. We go to kindness first. Our default setting has switched. Our default setting can change from sin to not sin. It doesn't mean we become sinless. We're broken human beings that always need Jesus while we walk the earth. It means we have the capacity, we have the ability, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to be completely transformed in this life, to lead with love first, to have the first thought to be generous first, 
to have our first words that come out of our mouths to be encouraging first. It is absolutely possible in this life. This is not a pie-in-the-sky notion. It can happen. And that, friends, is a uniquely Methodist idea. It is possible. Through decades, decades, hear me, of prayer and scripture reading and worship and meditation and service, it can happen. But it takes time. It takes work. It takes the spirit, sweat, and tears. We know people who have accomplished this. We know people who are entirely sanctified, though they would never say it like that. They might not even realize it. We might say someone like Mother Teresa, who's always put people, poor people in India, first, above anything else, she's entirely sanctified. And you'd probably be right. But I bet there are even some people in your orbits closer to home. That relative who always seems to love first, regardless of the situation they encounter. The neighbor who bends over backwards to be generous to people, even people who are nowhere near as generous back. The teacher who has the capacity to love the most wide variety of students, giving every student the tools they personally need to succeed. Following Jesus can absolutely lead us to lives where our first thought, our default action is one of peace and love and hope, not anger or malice or revenge. We can get there. It is absolutely possible. We surround ourselves with people who follow Jesus and love in this way. We put on our new nature, our new feathers in Christ, saying, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and we live into it. There'll be fits and starts. We'll take two steps forward, have one step back. We're only human. It's not a nice straight climb to entire sanctification. It is a messy process. We don't give up. We keep going. We say we're sorry. We try again. We keep taking thoughts captive that are angry and hurtful and bitter, and we transform them to love and generosity ever before words leave our lips. Through decades of taking control of our thoughts and actions, we slowly find our first thoughts change, our first actions change, our first words, more often than not, they're more filled with love and generosity than hate and bitterness. We need to do this necessary work. We need to do this hard work because our words have power. Our words have incredible, incredible power to bring life and hope to others. Audrey taught at a small community college. She taught music in California in the 70s. One semester, Audrey met Edward, a six-foot-tall student who never seemed to smile, and he always had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Throughout the course of the semester, even though he had the capacity to do incredibly well, he turned in subpar work. He missed classes, and he failed tests. He never participated in classroom discussions either. Edward didn't seem to have any friends. Audrey had this gnawing sense she should get to know him as a person beyond the professional student-teacher relationship, but she resisted. Edward did not improve throughout the semester. During his final exam, he looked dejected, worn out, and exhausted. He didn't do well, earning a D on the final exam and a D for the course. Every student returned a few days later to receive their grade and their final exam from Audrey. 
She resolved herself to give Edward a D because, like all the other students, that's the grade that he earned. That's the grade that he earned from the work that he produced. Edward arrived to receive his final, and he looked terrible. His eyes were sunk with dark black circles under them, and the hollows of his cheeks were drawn. His swollen lips were cracked with dried blood in the creases. His skin was pale and his hair matted. He was wearing the same clothes he'd worn for the last few weeks. Edward said, I know I'm getting a low grade on my final. I realize I haven't been participating in class and that I'm an embarrassment to others. I'm a lazy, selfish, stupid, and an ugly, good-for-nothing person. I have no place on this earth, and what's more, no one could ever love a person like me. I am a hopeless case with absolutely no future. Audrey looked directly into his very sad eyes and said, Edward, your final grade is an A. His reaction was surprise. You're giving me an A? Me? Why would you give me an A when I did such a poor job in class, on my assignments, and on my final exam? Why would you do that? <coughs> Edward, you may appear to be a D student, but you are an A person. I believe in you now, and I will always believe in you. I am here for you. I will always be here for you. Never, ever forget that. Now go and create the life you dream of. Believe in yourself. I will be watching. And by the way, Edward, I love you. Audrey had never graded anyone that way before. Later that night, Audrey received a phone call from Edward's priest to say thank you for saving Edward's life. His parents called the priest because they found his suicide note on his pillow. Edward planned to kill himself after talking to Audrey, but after that conversation, he had no desire to end his life anymore. Audrey learned that Edward had an older brother that had been jealous of his height his entire life, verbally abusing and belittling Edward constantly, leading to his low self-image and his self-esteem. Audrey's words of life and hope and kindness landed at the exact moment Edward needed them the most. It may have been the very first time any of those words were ever spoken over Edward. His life changed from that moment forward. Edward retook Audrey's music class and crushed it with an A+, even helping other students succeed in that class. Today, Edward is married with four children, working as a dentist in California. Edward spends his spare time helping abused children, helping them find hope, love, and acceptance. Friends, our words have power. We have so little idea what each of us are carrying with us every day. It's why our words matter deeply. May we go, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray together. Jesus, give us your peace, your patience, your kindness as we do our best to speak words of life to each other. We confess we don't always get it right. We are short with each other. We are ungracious to one another, and we are unforgiving. May your Holy Spirit do the deep transformation work in us 
so we can lead at all times with our first thought being love and kindness, patience and peace. It's in your name that we pray together. Amen.